Let's open our Bibles to Genesis 19. Genesis 19, we'll be reading verses 1 through 29. Uh, A story people are, I would guess, quite familiar with, although probably not a story that you read all that often in the Scriptures. A story of judgment, uh, a story that in many ways is shocking and sad, uh, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is uh, the second message now in the sermon series here that I'll be preaching for, for the next few weeks on pilgrimage. And last week was kind of the primer, the, the overall vision for the sermon series, which was Psalm 84, blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, Psalm 84, verse 5. And now, today, we're going to think about how pilgrimage begins. Of course, it begins with um, leaving somewhere. And um, that's where it begins in The Pilgrim's Progress, that great book that was written 400 years ago. And that's where it begins with all of God's people, that we are called out of something, out of some place, and into uh, the presence of God, somewhere new, somewhere better. And... um, In the Pilgrim's Progress, that place that the Christian is called out of is called the City of Destruction, which is is so very clearly a reference to this passage of Genesis 19, the city doomed to destruction because of sin and the wrath of God over sin. And so um, as we think today, uh, we're going to be thinking mostly about where are we from, where are we coming from? The rest of the sermon series will be where are we going to and how do we get there, but today we're going to really focus on sin and um, what is happening in this world that is against the will of God. So in church, we do take a lot of time to think about the destination of the Christian life, and that's for good reason. We're moving into union with Christ. We want to live in a way that pleases him. We want to be moving forward and thinking about what is ahead that's what we're commanded to do by the Apostle Paul. But it's, it's also good to think about what is behind. And uh, just one quick note before I even read our passage that I want to say that I was very greatly influenced in this sermon by a sermon that was written in the 1800s by the Bishop of Liverpool named J.C. Ryle. And he wrote a fantastic sermon called Remember Lot that is uh, so powerful, which I'll, I'll quote at, at one point in this sermon, but I was, I was greatly influenced, even in wanting to preach on this passage by that awesome sermon by J.C. Ryle. Now let's look at God's word, starting at Genesis 19, verse 1. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, and all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. And just 
So you're very clear that has a, a sexual connotation. Um, it's uh, very much meant uh, to be uh, a sexual advance against them. Lot went out to them at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not yet known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we can deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting, to be joking. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my life will be saved? He said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen on the, lo- on the earth when the lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of of the valley... God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of their midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In this passage, uh, attention is so often given to the sexual sin of the men of Sodom. And that is certainly a topic worthy of examination. But this morning I want to focus more of our attention on Lot's response to that sin. On how Lot reacted to this sin of his neighbors. I believe that the main application of the story and and how it is written and, and even in how we apply it as Christians should be how do we respond to sin, our own sin and the sin that is committed against us or in the world. After all, we can expect that people who do not worship the Lord will act in a worldly, sinful way. Their hearts are set on sin. As the Heidelberg Catechism reminds us, by our nature, we hate God and our neighbor. We believe that in this, in this church. And so we can expect that unless the regenerating work of the Spirit is, is at work in our lives, in the lives of any person, their heart is going to be set on sin, on hating God and striving against His kingdom. And so believing that, that we are, are born again, we should think in response to this story, how will we respond when sin and, com- and temptation come knocking at our door? How will we react? Recognizing there is evil in the world, how will the Christian respond to that evil? In the Old Testament, Israel was often called to respond to the sins of their neighbors in often very drastic ways. Israel is often called to go somewhere new because something is happening around them that is so destructive to them. Of course, the ultimate example of this is Israel being delivered from slavery, from bondage under Pharaoh's hand and out into the wilderness towards the promised land. So they're told to go somewhere new, somewhere better, the land of promise. And along the way, they start grumbling, don't they? And why are they grumbling? Because they have forgotten how terrible it was to live under Pharaoh's rule. That story of Israel just isn't Historically true, we believe it's historically true, but it's also like a parable that we see time and again throughout the scriptures. Not only should we depart from a life of sin, but we should remember how bad it is to sin against God, to live um, with sin invading us, with temptations all around. So the intention today of my message is certainly not that we would be proud that we're not like those men of Sodom. It is not that we would be built up in pride thinking, oh, we're so much better because we don't live in that kind of way today. But the purpose of a story like this, I think, is threefold. The first purpose is to see how God delivers from sin. The second purpose is to inspire us to leave sin behind, not to linger like Lot, but to to leave it immediately And the third purpose is to warn us against going back. As we walk through this passage, we'll see there are so many parallels for every part of our lives today in thinking about how 
we could answer this very basic question. Am I leaving the city of destruction? Or am I lingering? Am I waiting? Am I enjoying something of the sin of this world instead of leaving it and running to Jesus? So, if we would have read Genesis 18, which I would have loved to do, but we already had a lengthy scripture passage this morning, we would have learned that Abraham has learned of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's pleading with God to, to uh, not to judge this city, not to destroy the city. And, and perhaps you would recall the dialogue between Abraham and the Lord in Genesis 18, where, where Abraham is saying, would you just spare the city if you could only find a handful of righteous people? And God um, sort of humors Abraham, you might say, going all the way down to only 10 people. If the Lord could find 10 people in the city that are righteous and seeking the Lord, then he'll spare the city. And so that's the, the precursor to the story that we find. The angels are there on and what we might think of kind of a fact-finding mission. They're going to look for ten righteous people. That's why they would want to go and sleep in the town square, right, as they were getting started in the story that we read. Because they're there to, um, to get to know the people who are there. But the city is so wicked and so evil that Lot says, you can't sleep out in public. You can't, you can't go and do that. You have to come in the safety of, of the home of Lot. Now, all along, of course, the Lord knows Sodom. The Lord knows the hearts of every person in Sodom. But he agrees to Abraham's request not to destroy the city and send these angels who are seeking ten people who live uprightly. But the plan is quickly ruined as the men of Sodom make a perverse demand of the angels. And as I said uh, earlier, we could spend time thinking about uh, the perversity of that that demand that they were making, but, but I want us to think more on Lot's response. What is Lot's first instinct to these men? It's actually a shocking response, isn't it? He tries to bargain with them by offering his virgin daughters to them. So Lot tries to respond to their sin by sinning himself, by offering his daughters to them. A shocking response. He thinks he can bargain with evil men. He thinks he can make a wager or a negotiation with sin. But these men are so bent on sin that they reject this offer and they try to break down the door. Lot and his family are saved only when the angels strike the men with blindness. So I think we can learn two lessons about sin in this passage and really focus on the nature of this sin, thinking about how it is manifest in so many places in our world. The first lesson we can learn about the nature of sin is that sin is about selfishness. Selfishness. These men are bent on pleasing, on gratifying their sinful, selfish desires at the expense of anyone. The demands of the men of Sodom are shocking. And all sin is the same in that it is a rejection of the will of God. If we look at sexual sin in particular, we see that all sexual sin at its core is about rejecting God's design for our bodies and for our relationships. 
The Bible teaches that God's design for sex is that it's meant to be enjoyed by a man and a woman in a loving covenant of marriage. And this sin of the men of Sodom breaks that that law that God hands down in every way. And so again, the Bible's teaching on sex is that it is a good thing protected by marriage between a man and a woman who love one another, who care for each other, and who express that love in a sexual relationship, in union. But the sin of Sodom is opposite in every way to that, to God's design for sex. The reason for this extreme depravity of sin is that that they have become so selfish that they think of sex only as something that is taken and taken and taken and it gives no life to the other. Instead of repenting and turning to God, the sinner today who is stuck in that kind of sin just goes further and further down into the sinful life thinking that if they take more and if they find a different kind of expression of of their sin, then maybe they'll find joy eventually in that. Taking more for themselves, more for themselves, hurting other people along the way. And it just leads further and further down into a hardened conscience and into guilt. So because these men are stuck in sin, They have lost all sense of the goodness of sex. And it has become only about gratifying their desires. And this is how every sin works, not just sexual sin. If you think of the sin of gambling, what is it about? Me getting my money, getting more money, not using it wisely for the good of other people, not being generous with it for um, the good of my family or the people in my community, but I'm going to use this money so I can get more. Do you think about the sin of recreational drug use? And what is the sin? It is a sin of selfishness. I am going to feel good at the expense of the financial well-being of my family or the people around me. You think of the sin of laziness, and isn't that exactly the root cause? Selfishness. I'm not going to work hard at work because I want to do what I want to do today. I want to waste my time instead of blessing other people and following the Lord's command for me and my work. You think about the sin of racism, and it is ultimately a sin of selfishness. Liking myself and people who look like me at the expense of people who don't look and act and have a culture like mine. You think about the sin of, of gossiping and slander. And at the core of it is selfishness. We want to feel good when we, we think we do, maybe for a moment, when we gossip about that problem in someone else's life. So at the core of every sin is selfishness. Each sin is ultimately about rejecting God and failing to to love our neighbors in favor of gratifying the urge of selfishness. So, the second thing we can learn from the nature of sin in this passage is that it is aggressive. An aggressive force against our well-being. So Lot tries to manage the situation. He tries to negotiate These men will have none of it. They don't care. They're not going to be negotiated with. They think they can get whatever they want. 
And so Lot sins by trying to negotiate, but you cannot negotiate with sin. It takes and takes and takes. These men want to literally break down the door to satisfy their desires. Now this morning, I hope that this sermon does point you to the grace of God. And we'll certainly get there in the latter part of the sermon. We'll hear about how we're delivered from sin and from temptation. But I also hope that reading this passage will cause you to recognize the aggressiveness and the destructiveness of sin. Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And he contrasts that with his own ministry saying, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. But before he says that, he gives the, the great warning, the serious warning of what sin comes to do, like what these men of Sodom want to do, to steal and kill and destroy, to take, not to be negotiated with, not to be uh, winked at. What if someone in eastern Ukraine right now lives in denial that their neighborhood is a battlefield? What if they just think happy thoughts and go out and sort of live their lives as normal? They'll be killed. They would be quickly and easily killed by the Russian invaders. What if that same person believed that they could outwit or personally convince a Russian soldier that they should be nice or maybe just go home? Again, the result would be losing the battle. Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, about the seriousness of sin. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So again, a huge part of the purpose of this message is to take seriously the destructiveness of sin and its aggressiveness in attacking We're told by Jesus certainly to love our enemies. But within that command is a recognition that the Christian has enemies. Enemies in the world. Enemies of the kingdom of God. And so, that's the first thing that we can learn from this passage. Moving forward, what happens next in Lot's response? He goes to his daughter's boyfriends to try to convince them to come with Lot's family out of the city. In verse 14... What is their response? But they thought he was jesting. They thought it was a joke. That's a common response to when Christians start taking sin very seriously and talking with one another about the destructiveness of of sexual sin, of greed, of covetousness, of, of taking from other people, of laziness, of false teaching. When we start to take those things very seriously in the church, there will be people and there are people who would say, lighten up, man. Take it easy. These future sons-in-law, although they never certainly became sons-in-law of of Lot, just say, take it easy. Lighten up. And this happens a lot in the Pilgrim's Progress and and the book that, that we're reading as a church or encouraged to read where even as Christian is getting started leaving the city of destruction and Christiana later is getting on her way with her children leaving the city of destruction, there are many people who say, you are an extremist. 
You need to lighten up. You need to calm down. People are told that that they're acting too seriously or acting too drastically. But brothers and sisters, anything that the Bible calls sin will ruin a person's life. Will ruin a person's life. Lot's daughter's boyfriends have become so comfortable in Sodom that their consciences have been hardened and they don't see the problem with how people live there. Unfortunately, we learn in verses 15 through 16 that there's some of this in Lot even as well. We read in verses 15 and 16, As morning dawned, so this is the next morning, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up! Take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. He waited. He paused. He thought. Leaving the city required a sacrifice from Lot that he would let go of his his home, his possessions, all of these things that were keeping him in, in this affluent city of Sodom. He's giving up security of living in a city. And like Lot, we will be tempted to love the perishable things that God may call us to give up. Like Lot, we will be tempted to linger in attachment to what is perishable and perhaps even allowing an attachment to those things to pull us into sin. What is causing you to linger in your pilgrimage? What is causing you to to wait before you obey God today? What is causing you to, to wonder if you're really supposed to move forward in faith in a certain way? Is it lack of faith that God's way is good? Is it stubbornness and trusting in yourself? There certainly would have been some of that in Lot, I would guess. Maybe he lingered because he thought, I can still fix this. That's what he revealed in his initial reaction to the men's demand. Maybe I can barter, negotiate, uh, sort of wiggle my way out of this destructive situation. And so when we think in that way about the sin in our life, we will linger in fleeing from it. So instead of going to the cross when we sin against God, we would think maybe there's something I can do to fix this problem myself. That's a way of lingering, of pausing, of stopping instead of going where God is telling us to go. Even for a Christian, there can be a lot of lot in us. Lingering, pausing. And this is really where J.C. Ryle's sermon is so powerful, is in confronting the lingering person who is waiting before they would depart from sin and the consequences of sin, which are destruction. So this is a powerful string of commands, which are for you, especially if you are not yet a follower of Christ, but even if you are following Jesus, you're called increasingly to leave behind the world and to strive for what is good. And so J.C. Ryle wrote this. I'll read a, a good lengthy portion of his sermon. He said, I call upon you, and I do as your pastor today, and I beseech you, I, or I charge you, I exhort you, by all your hopes of heaven and desires of glory, do not be a lingering soul. 
Oh, let not one of us linger. Time does not. Death does not. Judgment does not. The devil does not. The world does not. Neither let the children of God linger. Are you a lingerer? Has your heart felt heavy and your conscience sore while you have been listening? Does something within you whisper, I am the man? Listen to what I am saying. How is it with your soul? If you are a lingerer, you must just go to Christ at once and be cured. You must use the old remedy. You must bathe in the old fountain. You must turn again to Christ and be healed. The way to do a thing is to do it and do this at once. And so if you are recognizing today that you're lingering in temptation or struggling with sin, read this whole sermon and read it every day this week. Remember Lot by J.C. Ryle. You'll be called out of lingering and into an urgent following of Christ, an urgent seeking of the solution, of being washed, being transformed, being delivered from destruction. When you're born again in Christ, your citizenship is no longer in the city of destruction. Your citizenship is now in heaven. And that happens in an instant, and that happens by the grace of God. That's something that God does for us, delivering us, taking us like the angels did by the hand out of destruction. But along with that thing that God does absolutely for us, he also calls us to walk with Christ further away from destruction. That's called sanctification. God does the the work of justifying us, saving us, delivering us, but he also calls us to put our effort into walking away from sin. So, the person who is born again needs to follow Jesus away from that city. The way to do a thing is to do it. Is to pray is to repent, is to talk about people or about your sin with other people. So whether it's for the first time today or for the thousandth time today, choose to follow Christ today and leave sin and destruction behind. Do not linger for your life's sake. In Psalm 19, we're told of the proper response to God when he calls us to leave a life of sin and follow Jesus. Psalm 119, verse 60, I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Psalm 119, verse 60. Now there's one more detail in this part of the story that's important for us to think about. Even after Lot's family leaves Sodom, what does his wife do? She turns back. She looks back. It's just as dangerous to look back to the city as it is to be in the city. So imagine yourself, uh, just maybe thinking of a little parable I want to share for a moment. Imagine yourself as someone who's been married for for 50 years. So whether you're, you're married or not, you could probably imagine what that might be like to be married with someone for 50 years. But also imagine that during all 50 of those years, you've been more in love with your high school sweetheart than with your spouse. And it has been 
ruining your enjoyment of your spouse, of your marriage, as you've been looking back that whole time. That, that your heart has never really been devoted to that person you've been married to, but you, you continue to, to look back to what used to be that you don't have anymore. That's what Lot's, life is, uh, Lot's wife is doing. She can't let go. Now, I'm sure some people think that because they took a few steps in the right direction away from sin, that their eternal life is secure. They do this all the while looking back and yearning for that selfish life again. They haven't truly died to sin and been risen with Christ, but they've taken maybe a few steps away from the city of destruction or from a life in sin. A few steps in the right direction while all the while really desiring what they used to have there. That's Lot's wife's problem. And she's caught up in the destruction as well. So if that is you today, looking back, instead of living in the abundant life of Christ, looking back to what, what could have been if you had not followed Jesus, if that's you today, the encouragement is to continue towards the cross, to come to Jesus, to persevere in faith. So don't just leave the city of destruction. Don't just leave your sin behind. But brothers and sisters, keep your eyes forward. Forward always. And keep walking with Jesus. So amidst all this judgment over Sodom, we can see God's mercy right in the middle of the story in verse 16. What does God do for Lot? There's this this great little phrase in the middle of the passage. So the men seized him. And his wife and his two daughters by the hand. God overcomes Lot's lingering, overcomes Lot's resistance. He overcomes our waiting and our lingering today. The men seize him. Why? Because the Lord was merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So as you read those words, think of Jesus doing that rather than thinking of just the the work of the angels in the story, think of the work of Christ and how he did that exact thing in each of our lives. Seizes us, takes us, holds us like, like a shepherd finding a sheep that has wandered away, snatches that sheep up, brings it back to the right place, being merciful to him. It's out of mercy, it's out of love, it's out of the goodness Um, and and faithfulness of God, that that this lot is saved, that we are saved. This is what Jesus came into the world to do. To save sinners. And, And not just to save us and leave us enduring temptation, harried and and helpless by sort of invaded by uh, uh, the temptations of the world all the time, but saved us and brought us into a safe place, spiritually speaking, we can say that. And so why would the Christian walk back into temptation after being brought out of the city of destruction? Jesus came into the world, the Bible says, to destroy the work of the devil. To destroy the work of the devil. 
He came to deliver us from destruction. So this is not only good news for sinners, it's also a hopeful message for victims of sin as well. So just for a moment as I start to close, if you have been at some point in your life the victim of a sin, especially of a sexual sin, consider how that passage might apply so wonderfully and so beautifully to your life. That that sin, that maybe a sin you have committed or a sin committed against you, here's how Jesus responds. He seizes us, takes us, being merciful to us, brings us out, out into life, into joy, into his presence. Our sin, even the sin also that would be committed against us, can be washed away in Christ. So this story is good news for a lot. And it's good news for us who are brought out by Jesus. All of us have been born in that city of destruction. All of us are born with hearts that are set against God, against him, even hearts that are set on moving further away from God instead of seeking him. But God comes to us, being merciful to us, takes us by the hand from judgment into life through Jesus Christ. So why would you linger? Why would you wait to be with Jesus? Why would you wait to follow Jesus more fully? Brothers and sisters, start walking with Jesus, away from that city today. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.